Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Um, Basically, over the last couple of years, I mean, um, for years, actually, since I first came into the fellowship here in Ireland, there was two people um, that uh, were really impressed me. <clears throat> the first one was Tom L, who's here, who's here, and and Tom, Tom's basically blind, and uh, you know he 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 tells great jokes, um, but he was always coming to the fellowship and he'd make his own way down there, or whatever. But we're up on the second floor, and it's it's not the simplest place to get to, whatever. He has a, a has a guide dog. But Tom comes along and. <clears throat> And when he'd share at the um, at, at the conventions or whatever, sometimes or at meetings, sometimes he'd be complaining, or <clears throat> sorry, but um, complaining was the word. But like he'd be, he'd be getting annoyed about the fact that people just leave things out in the street um, and don't take into consideration that somebody might be coming along who is blind or had problems with the, with with sight and and the danger that is for them. <clears throat> now there may be other challenges within SA itself for somebody like this. And Tom will Tom will talk about that. Um, another um, person that was there at the time was a fellow called another Tom, and he was one of the original you know people who helped to get SA off the ground in Ireland. And he had a uh, art who I can see there. We remember Tom. Tom had a little machine that he would put down in front of everybody uh, to increase the volume so that he would be able to actually hear, and he would have a, a hearing aid, and and, he, and he'd do that. Um, <clears throat> And, and Tom would do that. And, you know, I remember at the time thinking, gosh, you know, that's really annoying. He always was this, whatever. But what was really what he was doing was he was saying, I'm here as well, and I need to be able to hear. Huh? And um, because he had the little machine and whatever, it, 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 he was able to do it. <clears throat> More recently, a, another member came in in, in Limerick and that I had the opportunity to, to work with for a while. And he, 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 he's deaf. And he depends on people, he depends on being able to see people's mouths to be able to lip read. And, you know, it's very frustrating when he's in a meeting and people put their hands over their mouth or they put their head back or they look down or they mumble. or they say, You know, it's very, very, it's almost impossible for him to, to understand what's going on. And he went to a convention in Ireland, the Emer Convention in Ireland this year. And... Um, and he left, he left, he left basically because um, of, of a number of things that happened that made it uncomfortable for him uh, in trying to hear what was going on. Now, I don't know if we're going to actually be able to get Noel on the phone today, driving around. Um, I hope we will. And if not, uh, we're also going to see if we can try to get Pat over from the States. But we don't have, this is one of the things that came up at this conference here is there was no money for 
to be able to put uh, pay for a translation uh, for sign. And so there's a whole sector of the population, very interesting, in, um, in CODA, I think it's in CODA, they have a brochure. It's a, no, sorry, it, it might not be that. It might, it, it's, it's Cocaine Anonymous, I think. They have a brochure which they send out specifically for um, people with disabilities, and they say that there's a very high percentage of people with disabilities who are addicted, but uh, if they don't have particular attention paid to, to making it accessible for them to come to meetings, then they're just just, just completely overlooked. And, and in, in the States, I think there was figures on like sort of, you know, you know, 6% of the population, you know, have, 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 have disabilities, could be even more. And so there's a whole sector of the population who... Are are basically are often excluded from recovery programs. So, this, so that's a that's a big important sector of the population. That you know we were we've just come out of a meeting where we're talking about strengthening SA in Eastern Europe, and we've got this whole sector of the population in where we have loads of meetings and we think everything's going fine. So we we'll just go off and do missionary work elsewhere. But you know we've got a lot of work to do at home. Huh? Okay, so we're going to hear from Tom. And also over there, we've got Michael, who is easily distracted and is on the telephone talking to somebody else at the moment. And um, so, Michael, there you go. Um, and Michael, uh, who will forgive me, he knows we were going to say it. Michael had a, a, a bad car accident many years ago, and it left him with a, a brain injury, which affects him in being able to deal with uh, issues. And uh, I have worked with other people who've also had car accidents, and for them, in many cases, it's difficult to focus for as long as we expect people to focus in meetings or in doing step work. So, you know, I have another uh, fellow that I was working with and you know, giving him a, a, a fourth step manual or something, say, so go and write that out. Just forget it. Forget it. I, I, I gave him this great guy. He's actually he's got into a recovery place at the moment to, you know, for, for alcoholism. But I, I gave him that thing, you know, write a list of the people that, you know, who you've got resentment against, you know. And, and he came back with a list. And it was family, teachers, police, friends, everybody else. And it was, <laughs> that was it. I mean, it was like sort of, you know, what about the names? He said, there's the complete list, you know. Um, so, you know, working with people and helping people in these various different cases, those are things that we need to, to, to become more, more, more sensitive to. And so, Michael, have I got your attention? Yeah. Can I get you off the phone? Will you tell Nadia that you're about to go onto the phone here? Just say, say to the wife, listen, I got to go, you know, I got to go. The boys need me. Yeah. All right. Because you're up now, Michael. You're our first speaker. <laughs> Michael. All right. But just when Michael's finished talking oh, to thank his... You, thank you. <laughs> So I, th I thought this was an interview. I thought you were asking me questions. <laughs> it is an interview, Michael. I want you to tell me your story. Okay, so you've got like, um, we'll give you about 10 minutes to just tell about what it is, your experience, strength and hope with SA and, and you know, focusing on the extra difficulties that may be there because of the brain injury which you which you received in the, in, in the car accident, you know? And um, I'll let you run for 10 or 15 minutes and maybe I see Cahill there. And I'm going to ask Cahal maybe if Cahal would give you. He's 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 done a runner on me. 
There you go. <laughs> oh, he's back. All right, Carl. After ten minutes, would you just give Michael a nudge at ten minutes? And thanks. Can you do that for me? Great. And I'm going to take myself off screen here and turn off the thing, and I'm going to see if we can get Tom on as well. Okay. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, uh, all. Um, I'm Michael. I'm sort of, you know, I identify myself as a. As a, a sexaholic, um, you know, I'm also a, I'm in, I'm in other 12-step fellowships, you know, so I, I don't want to kind of, you know, pretend this is all about lust recovery for me. Of course, I will come and ground as I say, but I, I'm also just, just like the addictive tendency, the, the disease has spanned out all of my life. And it is one of the, Causes actually one of the you know one of the causes of the 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 car the road traffic accident in 1998 where I acquired a brain injury and um, it was like one of the consequences of my addict, addictive nature you know the too much what you know substances in my system um, and actually um, I was getting so wasted that particular evening just to, just to actually forget about my inappropriate lustful you know abuse going around in my head it was like what can I do how can I get rid of this stuff I can't tell anybody anybody obviously um, the quickest the quickest way to do, to, to relieve me of that insane shit in my head is just was just to get wasted on alcohol, you know. And, and, and you know, the masturbation was a given, you know, that was just a sort of, that was, you know, that was the way I was. But you know, being in recovery and having this uh you've got a disability on other other able, you know, affects affects my ability to work basically, to gain, to gain employment. So activities which require um, a certain level of information processing, I suppose, intelligence, uh, struggle, especially if it's, yeah, so, and that also socially, the um, effects of, of uh, you know, I, I'm hesitant to say disability because it's, it's like it's, it's like it's an extension. It's just like it's also like my disease. It's like it's my defects. Like my my disability has become part of my program in a way. It's like you know, I've got to remove my cognitive processing difficulties. I've got to remove my right side weakness. You know, I've got to remove my vagueness, my unemployment, my inability to do this or that. But you know, in recovery, I find it very difficult to maintain fellowship. You know, dare I say, friendship. You know, we obviously create community here. We have friends. We get enable relationships. But I find it very difficult to like, consistently maintain those relationships. It just feels like there's it goes so far, and then and then it's like, well, then I just I just feel like there's like a space there. It's like kind of like graphic space between me and this person. I just don't feel like 
the friendship can go anywhere or the fellowship can really go anywhere. You know, it's fine at, at conventions, you know, we're all smiling and going to the, going to the social evening. But, you know, but outside the kind of the realm of recovery, when it's not recovery or when it's like this fellowship place, and that goes into sponsorship as well. It just looks like a bit of sponsorship, like maintaining sponsors. I've had literally, in SA itself, I've had that stint now, easy five different sponsors. Um, been around about five years. Um, you know, and this, this, this um, difficulty can, you know, I think it's like having a consideration, you know, being more considered, you know, being more considerate towards myself, more forgiving towards myself, instead of the self-pity, instead of beating myself up into, oh no, no, is another, another one of your victims who's trying to be your friend and not going to be their friend or, or fellow or sponsor or something, you know, it's like, and it is difficult for other people as well because I do, you know, I, I, I can be, um, you know, the social, can be difficult to be socially with me, I suppose. So, you know, but, you know, I, yeah, it's recovery and, you know, um, yeah, and doing, doing consistent service in, in recovery is, I've posed challenges as well. I've had all sorts of schemes. I've had different positions. I, I got, you know, I got a bit of sobriety, and I got put into like a kind of UK intergroup sort of PI post, and I was all on my iPad finding all this stuff, and I, I, I always promises. And it came down to it. I just couldn't deliver. I found it very difficult to actually follow through and just, just maintain a level of interest. And be able to sort of join the dots sometimes. I just find it very challenging. So I don't know, you know, again, but I think it's so important that I was given the opportunity to do that, you know, and I was given this, and this, and the fellowship had the active encouragement. It was like, yeah, give that a go. You know, no one's ever done it before. Maybe, maybe you could, in, in, you know, help this, you know, and perhaps I did help him to a certain extent. Um, it's part of the process. And, um, but, you know, just to sort of, uh, sort of encourage, so just to have that, ah, oh, the service is really one of the um, bedrocks of what keeps me sober, very much so. And um, you know, just, to, just to say that that active encouragement to everybody, really, to support whatever level of service making cups of tea, giving leaflets out, putting SA business cards on the public toilets where people are acting out, whatever, just kind of doing that stuff, that just chipping away at my, at my uh, disease and giving me more insurance. The next time the, the temptations come my way, if they do come my way every day, doing the steps has you know, uh, before SA, I was in the steps for about 10 years, you know. But then I get into SA and it was okay, well, you know, now I really do need, need work the steps. And yeah, I've got some work the steps, but I think, I know it's, it's difficult for me to talk about me, me, me all the time. <laughs> but like a sort of concrete 
the 12 steps in my head and realize that is actually almost like a one, it's like a big kind of, I don't know, it's like a clump of them all together. It's like, this, you know, working this 12 steps doesn't mean that I'm kind of tidily meeting, um, working each one, you know, it's like actually kind of, since, it, you know, after being here a while in the program, it's, you know, it's the process itself. It's very much forming that and living that and understanding that. And, you know, it has taken a while to formulate and to, you know, to actually, you know, realize it working the steps. Really, it's real It's not like a lifestyle as well. It's, you know, it's bringing it into my life. And, and realizing the only step I need to do 100%. And this isn't my idea, but very much step one. You know, if I haven't got a step one in the same, that which actually I'm aiming to do, I haven't, I haven't got it in the same. And that is like, you know, that bad luck, you know. I don't think, I don't think you can publish get any steps in the percent, but definitely number one, if I can get that in the percent, it's like, yeah, I'm proud to help, please help me. I mean, that's it. The lust temptation comes in, and I'm kind of being hit by it. And it's like I've taken a shot of vodka, literally. Like, in my body, it feels like I've taken a shot of vodka. My head, like what, I've taken a drink here. Please help me, I'm, I, you know, my life is becoming unmanageable. You know, within seconds. Like, you know, and sponsoring people can be difficult as well, because I do, you know, I, I do have a certain way or whatever, I don't want to put myself down, but, it has been a difficulty sponsoring people. I have had some success, you know. What you what you what you gave to success, but you know that has been unresponsive as well. So I need to be sort of upfront, I think, as well, and, and tell you know sponsors that yeah, okay, well, maybe I haven't done that, you know. But you know, this is the situation. These are this. I have I have, I have some bad days. You know, I have some days I'm tired or. You know, I might lose my temper, I lose my voice, or say, say something slightly weird. So this is what I used to say to some, uh, one of my success stories. Basically, I said to him, look, if I tell you, if I suggest something to you, please, please check it out with someone else. Please don't take my word for it. No, I'm like you, I'm a sexaholic. Just, just please check it out if it's one of my suggestions. And although it isn't really one of the steps or something which is um, part of the program per se, but find having employment, you know, recovery is, you know, like a bridge to normal living to, to a certain degree, right? You know, you start to get, you start to get our lives in order, start to marry women and create families and get jobs. That has been a real... Um, Sticking point for me, the employment side at least. I was just recently married, so um, thank God for that. Michael, can I just tell you, you've got 10 minutes up now. Thanks, thanks. Um, thank you, um, Carl. I should have asked you for a one minute warning, which I got at my ACA meeting last night. No, you yeah. can take another couple of minutes there. Take another couple of minutes, not a yeah. problem. No problem. Excellent. Hi, Carl. Now you're here. I got my I got my own report. Take over. Now it can take over as a timer man. Is that okay? So I've got my clock here. 
Mine is on the MC officially now, so. My, my apologies, my apologies for looking late. Safety yeah. service, Cahill. I'm looking at the right. You've got two pictures up here, Cahill. Male. Sorry. Male, you've, got two, you've got two thumbnails up here. Anyway, so, you know, so yeah, so in my career, it's been a real chance to find employment. I've had so many jobs and, like, you know, left or been let go of or for one reason or another. You know, it's just like, oh my lord. But I'm just, just, just really letting go of that. Expectation. You know, what the hell is expectation anyway? Some kind of, you know, socially created. You should be working. It's in my, just in my head. You know, I shouldn't necessarily work. You know, so I kind of let go of like that um, self-whipping system and just accept, accept that you know, shit. I need to start growing up. My my wife might be pregnant. She she's not pregnant. And, you know, just nearly starting to start facing the the, the big bad world. And it's, actually, it's not a big bad world. It's not just in my head, you know. It's me again trying to run the show and make suggestions. So haven't got any haven't got any sponsors at the moment. So anyone after uh, after uh, someone who uh, has been around a few years and has lots of experience, please please do ask. And um, you know, because I can certainly. Um, so I've certainly got some time on my hands, and, but you know, if I don't, if I don't sponsor, I've got, I've got more time to do stuff like this. Speaking on an essay panel at an incredible international internet convention. So, thank you so much. My beard is still growing, and love you all. Thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, now. We're having some technical problems trying to get Tom on here, and I, they, it could be because of his own software. Um, and I'm looking around. Kahal, if you're still there, are you? Yeah, he's probably gone off to, to Channel A. Um, so, yeah, we are having difficulties with, with bringing him on board, and I will keep, we'll keep trying. But in the meantime... Uh, is there anybody here who'd like to sort of, you know, just, 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 just come in now after, after what Michael has been talking about? We're talking, remember what we're talking about is like the challenges for people um, in here, in, in recovery. Maybe you, other, others of you have experiences working with people with, uh, you know, um, actually I like the word that some people used. I heard using Michael was the name is like, um, what is it? Uh, God. It wasn't differently gifted, but it could have been that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have attention deficit disorder. They call it a disorder. Uh, I went to a convention last year in Spain. And there was a woman there who said that she had the same thing. Um, but she said, you know, a lot of C CEOs of major corporations have this attention, what they call attention deficit disorder. And it's a different way of looking at things. Uh, so it's, she describes it, it's a little bit like this scenario here. It's like watching 20 TVs at the same time, all the time, all day, every day. Um, and, and being able to sort of keep all those things going. I can deal with that whole big picture. You take me down to one small thing, 
I'll get lost in it. Yeah? This house behind me here, it actually looks a hell of a lot better than it did this time last year. And if I turn it that way, you'd notice that nothing's painted over here, but it is plastered. Last year it wasn't. Huh? It's a work in process. You know, but I've been working on this house for like sort of for, for over the past year. And, you know, I come upstairs to look for a hammer. And of course, I notice then that the wall isn't finished in the bathroom. So I start to work on the wall in the bathroom. Along the way, I realized that I needed to need the electric drill, which is actually in the other room. I go in to get the electric drill and I notice that some of the floorboards still haven't been screwed back down. So we can get on with the screw floorboards. But to do so, we're going to have to take some stuff outside to the garden. And when I get out to the garden, I realized that, you know, I haven't weeded it in ages and we need to do some gardening out here. So, you know, life can be extremely challenging. Um, and and for me, I mean, I didn't expect to be actually talking about myself here again, but then, you know, my favorite subject. But, you know, me, like, I end up in this sort of situation where I it's, it takes a lot of work for me to get to the stage where I can just accept myself. You know, that just when I leave the building, leave the house, I stop. Usually I stop inside the door, then I stop outside the door after I've closed the door. And probably when I've gone across the street to get on the bus, I realize I need to get back in because I've completely forgotten to bring my ticket, my phone or something else. And I will always leave something behind. And I can, I, I, I've walked a block up the road, remembered what I needed, walked all the way back down here, walked upstairs to collect it, seen something else, done something else, then left and gone back up the road a block again. And remember, I didn't pick up the thing I came back for, you know. And I used to get very, very annoyed and frustrated with myself. Luckily, I've been learned to, it's a great practice for learning tolerance and patience with others is to learn it with yourself as well. Yeah? Um, and, and also what I've, I'm learning to do with myself is to, to stop treating it like a disorder. Yeah? Um, it means like I have a different way of looking at the world and, and that, that in itself may be a gift. So maybe I have to come back and look at that. So just on that uh, note, when I open up the floor there, if anybody else would like to sort of come in and talk about, you know, this idea of disability and SA challenges that we have and uh, how maybe you've, you, you've helped to address them. Hi. Um, yeah, this is Uwe Lustaholic. I would like to share. Hello, please do. Um, yeah, I'm a, a Lustaholic and <laughs> I'm also blind. I know Tom for it now and um, well first of all I would like to surrender my self-righteousness and uh, that I think to know how things should go or not go in my way so um, yeah I can only speak for me as a visually impaired member of this fellowship I cannot I don't have experience with wheelchair users uh, members of the deafblind community, etc. I can only speak for me as a blind member and my experience around that. Um, the first thing I want to say is my blindness has little or nothing to do with me being a lustaholic. I am not unique and I'm not different. This is a trap and I fell in this trap before where I was sitting in SA meetings and we were reading out of the white book and it says there, we fed lust through the eyes and that's it. And it was a reason for me or for my disease to say, oh, then I cannot be a sexaholic. 
because they're only focusing on the eyes. So I use this as an excuse to go out there. So I have to be clear uh, uh, that I'm just another lustaholic. Now, um, so so that that's one thing, okay? Uh, uh, I, I have to work the same program as everybody else. I have to go through the same withdrawal symptoms of everybody else. And um, from my own experience, when it came down to willingness to overcome barriers like accessing material like the white book or other material which was not readily available in Braille or as an audio book or something like that, um, I had to come up with solutions because at the end of the day, it's my willingness which challenges me still to get to a meeting or um, take the money to take a taxi if I don't know where it is. You know, if, if I have the eagerness to recover, then those things shouldn't be an excuse to go to whatever you call it any length. So I, so I have to, I have to be clear about that. Okay. Um, now that doesn't mean that I see some barriers or things where maybe SA as a whole can improve. For example, when it comes I some concrete things I see is would be good to have all the literature or the main books. We use an SA as, as audiobooks and I was just sending an email the other day to Seiko to inquire if there's an actual, actual downloadable audio version instead of only the CDs because I know that many laptops, at least mine, doesn't have a CD or DVD um, drive anymore, and uh, they wrote me back. They are working on it. So, so th those are some concrete steps. Um, and again, I, I speak only now for for me as a blind fellow. Uh, otherwise, I, I I just what my where I see that my history as a blind human being helped me a bit when it came to being a lustaholic is that I had to learn to help, to ask for help. I mean, that's, that's the benefit which came comes out of both things. But, uh, I mean, I, I literally had to just reach out when I went to a convention to, to ask for help or organize it up front. I have to be proactive. And um, now if I get into the self-pity mode, which happens sometimes, then of course I go to my higher power and complain. I mean, you, you made me blind and a lustaholic. Please give me a break. Can you just not give me a easier bundle? But that's, that's um, you know, again, uh, I have to keep those things separate unless there are some practical reasons for me when it comes to organizing things. But uh, when I'm sitting in a meeting, I'm just another, okay, last the holic. And, and um, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly interested in helping out uh, SA or on whatever level, local level here and there to, to be a kind of a, provide my experience where I see, okay, we can do this and this and that and do a couple of things. And I think that's helpful. Yeah. I would love to do that as a service. Basically. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you. This is Philadelphia. I know we've got Tom Langan here. We've got Tom, is we've got him on. And Tom, if you hold your camera steady, we won't get seasick as it goes flying around the room. There we go. <laughs> all, right, all right, Tom. We'll unmute you there. Right, you're on. Can you hear me? You can indeed, Tom. Okay. Hi, <laughs> Tom. Hello, Carl. How are you doing? Good. Good to see you. Hello, Ova. I heard you as well. Art is up there and Niall is there. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hi, Tom. How are you? Good. And there's, there's, I think Mao is there, and Schmiel, and R W, and Jai Bisk, and um, Daniel T, and Three is there, and Barry, Dominic R as well, you know. Oh, very good, wonderful. All right. A worldwide audience. There you are, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> well, my name is Tom, and I'm a sexaholic. And uh, I heard some of uh, of Uva sharing there. Uh, I was trying to set this thing up. And um, <clears throat> I got a couple of reminders while I was trying to set this up with Brendan and uh, and my wife here. And um, my anxiety level went way up. Uh, and, um, and while it was a couple of very strong fantasy... Obsessions came came right back. They were knocking away inside my brain, and they were coming from my frustration and my worry and anxiety about uh, trying to get this thing to work, and feelings of uh, inadequacy, feelings of not good enough, uh, fear of what Brendan might think or other people might think of me. All those emotions. And some of them, are, if not all of them, are the bed, the, the bed of lusts, are the origins, the origins of my lusts. Because, um, like many people in recovery, uh, I got sexualized as a child in a boarding school setting, and, uh, and by the time I was fifteen or sixteen, I was totally addicted to masturbation. And um, I do the self-pity business too from time to time. Uh, but after leaving boarding school, uh, where I spent five years in virtual seclusion from the world, and, um, and then I ended up in a factory with 400 men and women that uh, were living out in the world. And, um, I, you know, looking, looking back from my recovery position, uh, I was completely lost and uh, feeling how to cope. So that's when the the masturbation really became very much part of a drug experience to cope with the all the fear that was going on and and the suppression. And I can again look back, not a lot of my anger and my inadequacies were suppressed in the boarding school setting. Uh, you know, it wasn't safe in any way to express emotions or feelings. 
they weren't entertained. You kept the rules, and if you broke the rules, there were serious consequences. But when I left the boarding school, I all these uh, things burst out, and it came out in the, against the management of the factory and against people. And, of course, immediately I picked up alcohol because I wanted to be out there doing everything and um, full of fear, full of shame. And as, a, <clears throat> as the years went on, uh, I, I wasn't able really to interact in, in, in society. I wanted to, and it was out there, but it was using drink to cope, and masturbation. They were my two cope. And, of course, I was smoking nicotine as well. So they were my three, my three f- drugs. And, uh, and I kept them going for an awful long time. To, the first thing that stopped working for me was the alcohol. And, <clears throat> and then um, and, and once I, I got a handle on that, um, and I wasn't long sober from alcohol. And I heard—I think I heard Brendan mention another Tom, Tom C. Uh, he actually came to my house uh, because my wife was running a swimming program for disabled people, and he came along to be a helper. And he—I don't know—with higher power or whatever, intuitively he was talking about uh, another fellowship at the time called SLAA, and. Uh, and he mentioned the, the Augustine Fellowship. And I know nothing about St. Augustine, except that he had an awful problem with lust. And I said, hey. and within 10 minutes of being at my kitchen table, uh, we were identifying with each other. And that's my higher power experience with coming into this program and this fellowship. And um, it went on. Uh, I... <clears throat> Uh, yeah, at that stage I was actually married to Mary, and um, but I still my my brain was still sozzled with images and of lust, and um, and it you know in the early years I say it didn't start immediately when I came in in my city, it started maybe a year or two later, uh, but the same people Cahill was part of it and um, Robert was part of it and this man Tom C. And um, and we formed a little essay group, and um, but I was I was very confused. Really, uh, I could see the re- the real attraction was that the program was based on the AA program. The white book was based on the AA program, and I knew myself intuitively if it would work on drink, I could use it to work on on lust as well. But, uh, you know, I found not acting out relatively easy. But the acting in, in uh, that's my top plate even today. When I I get frustrated or or fearful or any emotions get strong, I immediately go into my imagination. And it's, it's, I'm there. It's not a decision to go there. I'm there before I know I'm there. And that's when I have to catch it and surrender it. 
as I had to do up there, upstairs there a few moments ago. I caught myself in the middle of a, a fantasy, and, uh, and I said, oh, yeah. So I've got, with the program and with the meetings, I've got good at picking up my triggers. And, um, and you know, working within the fellowship and, and um, carrying the message, I, there was one part of carrying the message early on that I surrendered doing because I was doing some phone work. And, of course, my career was built on working with telephones. And, my, and that was peppered right through my life with images of women ringing in for the services that I was working for. So I found that when I was trying to do SA work, uh, I had to let it go because some, some young girls and sometimes women would come on and they'd be messing or, and uh, it was disturbing my, my peace. And I had to tell the coordinator a number of years ago that it's not the kind of service I can do and, and stay sober and stay calm. Uh, but I do look for other ways. I hold keys for, for meetings and open up doors and, um, sponsor people. I don't like calling myself a sponsor. I always call myself, if a man wants to stay sober, I'd support his sobriety and I'll share my experience, strength and hope with him as much as I possibly can. I never felt comfortable with the word sponsor. Uh, perhaps it's my fear of authority or that kind of, or become, I don't want to become an authority uh, of any type in anybody's life. I, I, I want to live and share my experience and living uh, with my with my blindness and with my limitations. Um, I'd also like to share in the, I do believe myself, that uh, people with disabilities are, are way more vulnerable to developing the disease of sexualism than average people. And it is, it is suppressed because, and I know this from many angles of interest that I've had, uh, people, uh, particularly caring institutions and stuff, tends to see people with physical and mental disabilities as non-sexual. And in my understanding, lust thrives best where it's not seen to be. If you don't see it, it's, it thrives very strongly. The boarding school I was in, um, the acting out among about, I'd say anything between 20 and 30 boys, was serial and impulsive. And the, and the religious people running the institution for three or four years knew nothing about it. Perhaps it was complete. And it was happening all the time under their noses because they had their own issues around sex, but they weren't in any way abusing the boys in that way or anything, but they weren't controlling our our, our social interaction, all right. Uh, but uh, I, I, I know that out of my own experience that it was going on at, an, you know, to the neck of the within the Within the school, among the boys themselves, there was no abuse from old... Uh, older boys in my time there. I can't speak for what went on before I got there. But uh, I'm sharing that because uh, those of us that carry a disability, uh, perhaps we can look for more opportunities of carrying 
our message of recovery to other people with disabilities. That's the only reason I'm sharing that. I think I've shared enough there now, Brendan. Tom, thank you very much. Thanks, thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Tom. Uh, yeah. Um, now, I haven't managed to get uh, our colleague Noel on, and I was told that Pat, who's in the States, who's also deaf, um, would need to have had a translator, and we didn't have it lined up. And this has all sort of come together a little bit. Um, well, it's kind of come together. <laughs> it's the safest way to put it. Um, but I do think that, like, for next year, uh, and I think we need to start now thinking about that, is how do we how do, how do we deal with that with translators for, for, for deaf people, um, both here and in our conventions? Um, it can be expensive, but... Uh, you know, if it can help any one person, then we should we should be looking for the way to do it. Uh, I, I just I just just mentioned one one incident that that occurred, and it's not about the people involved; it's just about the the issue. I had suggested to this person that when uh, we I was going to do a workshop, and and I suggested that when we did the meeting at the end, we we, we put everything in a circle, put the seats in a circle, because then I knew he'd be able to see everybody's. Um, he'd be able to see everybody, and he'd be able to read their lips. Um, but I wasn't there at the time. I was, I was, I was late coming up for it. And he had tried to arrange the seats for that, and somebody had come to him and said, "Look, look, look! You know, stop being like sort of you know the, the special person. You know, that that all has to be laid out in rows, and you know, just 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 get over it. You know, that's all pure ego. <laughs> so you know, which was which was very very startling for this person." And you know, it was it was like sort of here he was trying to make a take an action to enable him to participate more fully, and it was seen as inappropriate. And that's just you know that was just at the time. It doesn't matter who was who did it and whatever. And he never mentioned it to me, and it's, it's not relevant. It's just a, an example of how we have to be aware that situations are difficult, are different for other people. And uh, and I'm you know and 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 I worked I, I I was with him for lots of times and I would frequently forget to you know to remind myself to to keep looking in his direction. Um, so I don't know what they've been done in other places, but uh, they're 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 issues. So no, I just want to open the floor then for for any questions or comments that anybody might have. Please feel free to come in. I, do you know what it is? You know, there's this bearded trend going on, and I thought it was just going on with the young people. You see, and they have these guys sitting around with these beards, you know, they look like Ned Kelly now. But if you look at it here, there's more people with beards than without, you know. So, we're sort of, it's a, it, you know, it's, <laughs> it's the only place you're allowed to have long hair in SA and be considered like that you're sober, huh? otherwise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know, Brendan. It's only you that's seen them. I'm not seeing any of them. They're all here. One, but do you think I may? Maybe I'm seeing things, Tom. Exactly. Well, I tell you what. Nicholas has just come on. Nicholas has just come on. Okay, and I and 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 he's got art above him, and Shmuel is up there, and he's got it as well, and myself, and my Michael is following us down the road, and as far as. Niall is concerned, it's like looking at Kilroy because I can only see the nose and the eyes, so I have no idea whether he's got the beard or not. And Andrew, and well, Andrew's unshaven. And <laughs> All right. So the thing is open. The thing is open um, to anybody on what we're talking about, like SA and people with disabilities, hopefully help. 
This is rich uh, here in, uh, in, in Philadelphia, and it is so great to be part of this uh, marathon. Thank you so much to uh, Europe for doing this. And uh, I, I did have a few words I'd like to say in regards to uh, people with disabilities. Um, I've, uh, <clears throat> I've had the opportunity in my professional career to work with people, quote, people with disabilities. And uh, actually, <laughs> I just had somebody who really uh, got angry with me because I said he was a person with autism. And uh, he corrected me on uh, social media, and he said, I'm not a person with autism. He said, I'm an autistic person. Mm-hmm. Now, when I learned a respectful way to talk to people who have disabilities, I learned what they call people-first language. So you say a person with and then, or a person who uses a wheelchair, it's called people first language. Uh, Here's what I, I took out of this. The words really are not important. The words have come and gone. Step two teaches me that I am a person who is insane. That's why I've come to believe that there's a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. So everybody in SA is insane. And depending on how that gets described, I could be crazy. I could be mentally ill. I could have this whole shopping list of different diagnoses. And I also, you know, went to school back in the early seventies and I got this degree in psychology and um, over those years since then, over the, all these years since then, I've seen a lot of words come and go. Uh, there's this book here in the United States that's written by psychiatrists so that therapists can get paid and other people can get paid, which is always a good idea because people have to get paid for what they offer because they keep saying, come on back and we're going to help you understand this. And I, my sponsor made it very, very clear to me a while ago. He said, uh, There's nothing to understand. God made you a sexaholic. It's all about acceptance. It's not about understanding. But I do like to be proper in how I talk to people because it's so important for so many people that they be welcome and that they come into more meetings and that I know if I didn't go to a lot of meetings, I uh, wouldn't be able to – to talk here today, I wouldn't feel quite comfortable enough yet. I didn't talk for a while. I'm a, I'm a same-sex luster. I never knew what to call myself early on. Uh, there's lots of words. I mean, my God, people who choose a gay lifestyle, they, <laughs> at one point they were in this book and they were insane. They had a diagnosis because they were insane. Today, here in the United States, they can get married. Well, I don't know. What's right? What's wrong? What's right for me is very, very simple. My thinking is different, maybe different than others who don't have this disease. I mean, I can take a drink and stop, of liquor that is, but I, I certainly am a, I'm a sexaholic, and I, I am absolutely powerless over lust because I spent 53 years of my life lusting constantly, always wondering where my next fix was, pushing people, including family, out of the way so I could have what I wanted. And I try not to be quite so selfish and self-centered anymore. I'm so grateful since March 4th of 06, 
I've, uh, I've been able one day at a time to stay sober in SA. And uh, I just wish everybody in the world could come here. Um, but they don't. And for people who have disabilities, such as uh, blindness, such as uh, being, uh, you know, lack of mobility and using a wheelchair, one of the things we did here in Philadelphia was we made sure that there were these symbols on our meeting list. And uh, so as soon as somebody gets to a meeting, they can go to other meetings that they can attend. Because unfortunately, we have a, n- a number of meetings that are not accessible. That's key if we want people to come in the door. Um, also, uh, we have a lot of meetings in the suburbs where there's not a very good transportation system. And uh, tonight I'll be doing a meeting in Center City of Philadelphia. There's lots of public transportation, but those guys, sometimes a lot of them don't drive. So how can we get connected? Uh, we're just trying to get more people to come down into Philly, we're, we're, we're trying to get more meetings started. And one of the criteria we try to think about is, does the meeting have good transportation for those who don't drive? And is it accessible for somebody who may have a, a mobility problem? Now, I remember going out to Rochester, New York, and I went out there for a, a couple of marathons that they did. And I'm trying to remember now, it's not quite coming to me. I think it was one of the internationals, and I think it was in, in, in New Jersey, where, what's his name? There's a fabulous person from Rochester who is uh, deaf, and the uh, uh, Rochester Intergroup has been paying for a, uh, a person to sign uh, for him for many years and actually had his uh, uh, sign language interpreters follow him to the international convention and sign so that he could understand, we could understand him and he could, it was just the most amazing way to communicate because we all just have to communicate, pick up the phone, call someone, keep coming back and helping each other one day at a time to just work this program, work the steps and, and stay sober. And I'm just amazed. This is just, I'm not a tech guru thing person <laughs> and it's great to be able to come online here and uh, say a few words. So uh, thanks very much for letting me share. Thank you all guys out there. Thank you. Thanks, Rich.